time with God every day. Every day. Every day. I will spend time with God. I will pray. I will pray. 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 I will pray. I will be holy. I will be holy. 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 I will be. I will be holy. I will fulfill God's purpose for me and my generation. My generation. My generation. I will fulfill God's purpose. God's purpose for my generation. For me and my generation. My generation. I will live the vow. Okay, you know, like you're probably gonna tell me that I need to 
act a certain way, that I need to dress a certain way, that I need to say certain things, or it's just going to be gossip and fluffy and whatever. And we have this chip on our shoulders and we're just like, I don't want that drama, I don't want fluff, I don't want surface, I don't want that stuff. And so, I don't know really how I feel about women. And, um, and I think that that's, in a way, accurate of saying, you have that chip on your shoulder for a reason, and that reason is because you desire truth. And I'm gonna speak that into you girls for, in a specific way of like, don't feed the cynicism, don't feed the judgment, don't feed anything like that. But understand that we, that thing in your heart is saying that I'm dissatisfied with fakeness. I'm dissatisfied with insincerity. I don't wanna just come to an event and say, oh, we're all beautiful, yay, okay, go. You know, like, I want to know, what's the meat behind this? Why am I here as a woman? Why am I here in community with my sisters? Like, why? Why is this functioning like it is? Why don't we do accountability groups in men and women? What is the purpose of having community just between you and your group of girls? What is that? And this disillusionment that we're in danger of, especially as girls our age, is, it is, that it's exactly that, it's, it's a danger of saying, I've seen what I've seen, I've seen the differences, I've seen what I don't desire, and so I'm shutting that door, and I don't want to go there anymore. I've been burned by girls, or I've been not, some sort of expectation in my heart hasn't been met by girls, and so I'm just shutting that door, and I don't want to go there anymore. And that's what I kind of want to take my foot and kick open the door to, of just, listen, if you shut that door, you're shutting a whole side of what the Lord intends for you. And having an open heart, despite the things that we've experienced, despite the things that we've encountered, this is what the Lord desires for us. And that it wasn't the Lord that was like, oh, I made women catty. No, that wasn't in God's heart at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Lord saying, I desire community amongst you. And it's things in your heart, the roots in your heart, that you need to figure out so you can have the fullness of God that he intended for us. Um, so, yeah. Um, and I think that, is Mary Beth here today? No. No? Oh, she's, she's great. Anyway, Mary Beth gives this really great analogy of a tree. And here we go, Friends core leaders are like, oh, another one of Irene's analogies. <laughs> um, but she gives this really great analogy of, like, it's when we confront issues like this, a lot of times we're just dealing with branches. And we're like, oh, I see this, 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 and this that isn't right. So let me just cut those bad branches off. And here we go. Okay, tree, grow. Oh, wait, another weird branch. Let me clip that off. And we're forever trying to clip off these branches in our hearts. And I feel like that's what we do as women sometimes, is we're just trying to cut branches of, like, <clears throat> comparison, judgment, um, competing with one another, like all these of cattiness, of offense, of all these things. We're just trying to clip this branch and, like, oh, Comparison, dang it, break that off. But what we really need to do is we need to find out where does that branch start? Mm -hmm. And where's that trunk? And is the root diseased? And do I need to dig up this root and throw it away and burn it? Um, or, do, or is this root okay and I just need to make sure that my trunk is healthy? So that's what I want to do today. It's just kind of, are our trunks healthy? I don't so much want to address external branches, actions, sort of things. Because out of the overflow of your heart, that's how you speak. And that's how you act is what's in your heart. And so what is in our hearts today?
And I just went to this Lisa Bevere taping um, a few days ago, which was amazing. And she's written a new book called Linus Rising. But, um, and she spoke last year at Women's Connect. And one thing that she said that really caught me is that while she was writing her book, because she speaks mostly to women, and obviously deals with all these internal issues as well, um, is that she was just saying, as she was looking through the Bible and looking for examples to spread before the women, she was like, not finding anything. She was finding bad examples of like Leah and Rachel and like competing for the same husband and all this stuff of like women hating women and fighting and all this jealousy and that sort of thing. And she was like, just she came to the Lord and she was like, Lord, I don't understand how you expect me to minister to women if there's nothing for them to look through and there's nothing for them to see in the Bible and to model. And she just felt like the Lord said something so specific to her of like, yes, I know that. But what I want to build right now is I'm writing that chapter. I'm writing a chapter of women's community and women um, together in unity and non-competition and not comparing and non-judgment. I'm writing true love between women right now. I want to write that in the sisterhood now. And I think that this is something that we need to get right as women in our late teens and early 20s or mid-20s or wherever you are in the spectrum. Of like, this doesn't just go away. It's not just like, I'm going to exist until I'm 25 and I get married and whew, I have a friend who I know will always love me and I don't need those <coughs> chicks anymore, you know? It's not like I'm just going to exist and push through until I meet my husband and then I'm good, you know? And it's not even, I'm going to have one friend and I have my one girlfriend, I have my husband and that's it. Or if I'm single, I have my one friend and that's all I need. I got my best friend, you know? It's me and her against the world. And that's not what the Lord intends for us. And I'm not saying that we need to be best friends with everybody, but I am saying that we do need to love yeah. each other. Yeah. We do need to love each other, and we can't afford to get this wrong right now. Yeah. Like, what we build now is building into our 20s, into our 30s, into our 40s, into our 50s. Like, the foundations that we're laying now, it's what we say all the time. Like, the prayer foundations, the God foundations, the truth foundations that you lay right now, yeah. isn't that the same for our relationships? Yeah. How I relate to other people, what I build right now, that goes with me. Yeah. And reversing that when I'm 50 and I found out that I'm a woman hater, that's hard. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so let's, I just want to ask to do this well. Um, so I just want to start out with a little story of when I was um, in my second year of DI, which was Desperation Leadership before DLA was DLA. It's called DI. And um, in my second year, I just started trying to reach out to other girls and trying to go out to coffee and with other people. And I was never the girl that had like a whole lot of friends in high school and I didn't really know how to relate. I just thought girls were full of drama and I didn't want any part of that business. Um, so I just started like, okay, I'm gonna go out to coffee and I'm gonna you know, meet with these girls and I'm just gonna try and make friends, it'll be great. And most of the girls that I was going out to coffee were, with were um, not in DI, they were in the furnace. And so back in those days, it was DI put on a lot of um, different events and so it was kind of like a authority structure that was going on of like I was in authority over them kind of in like kind of a weird way probably because of me uh, but it was just like <laughs> they were just like oh you're a leader in DI and you do this full time okay you know like let me try and get advice to you and let me try and you know do all these things and it was like it was great because I met so many great girls through that but I noticed something in my own heart um, in doing that it's just they would we would talk for a while, and I'd be like spouting off like, this is what I've learned, and here, you should try this, and these are different tactics, and this is what, you know, so-and-so said to me in one of our staff meetings, and it was amazing, and here, try this, and all these sort of things. So I was like trying to pour out into them, and then these girls would be like, okay, Irene, like, tell me about you. Like, what's going on in you? And I'd be like, 
Oh, I'm good. You know, the Lord's just good. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, oh, you know, it's challenging. Like, I'm, I'm growing, and sometimes it's hard, but it's, it's good. <laughs> and then it's like, <laughs> and these girls are waiting, and they're like, you want to expound on that a little bit? <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. So thanks for meeting with me. Bye. Thanks. And um, and I was just like, and after like, and this went on for a while, like a year and a half of just like, it would just be like that. And one day I was just like, in my God time and coming to the Lord, and I was just like, Lord, like, what is this? And I feel like this isn't right that I'm not sharing as much as they're sharing with me. So what is this? And the Lord just brought up in me like, you're trying to keep them in a low position. And I was like, but they kind of are because I'm a leader. <laughs> like, I have all this experience and all this stuff. Like, they kind of are in a low position, don't you think? And he was like, yes, technically, because you are a leader, but you are trying to be superior to them. All the time you're trying to, and you're trying to draw this huge line in the sand of, we can go this far when it comes to me, but you are expected to, um, to turn back everything to me. Like, you're supposed to go all the way with me, but I'm only going to give you an inch. And I was just like, okay, Lord, so I know this is wrong. I'm drawing a line. I'm drawing a division between me and these girls. And there's this clear gap, and we both feel it, but none of us are willing to address it because we don't know what it is. Like, what is this? And, um, and the Lord just brought up in me, like, you're insecure. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> um, I don't think that I'm insecure. Like, I don't hate myself. I don't look in the mirror and like, ugh, you know, like, I'm not. I don't think that I'm technically insecure. And he was like, no, you are insecure because you are afraid that if you somehow share your heart with them, your status will d diminish and their status will rise. And you don't know what to do with that reality mm. of evening out wow. the scales of saying, if I don't have superiority or over you, then who am I? What status do I have? What worth do I have if I don't have authority over you? And how do I define myself if I don't have that? And so I just came and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like, this is gross. And I don't want to be like this. And how do I fix this? And um, I think a lot of our women's issues, issues, um, the things that we encounter are rooted in insecurity. And I hate saying that word in a women's function because ulti because I think a lot of us turn on the flip of like, oh my gosh, we're going to talk about how we should love our bodies. And, and yes, we should, absolutely. Or we're going to talk about like physically how we look. Or even we're going to, I'm like, I'm sick of talking about insecurity. You know, like it feels like every women's event I go to, it's always about insecurity, insecurity, insecurity. But I want to pose this question to you girls this morning is, isn't that the truth? is that what we deal with is insecurity before the Lord. And I want to break ideas of what we think insecurity is and just say that insecurity ultimately boils down to identity in the Lord. And I know that we talk about identity as women all the time, but identity isn't just our personality type. It's not just what we like to do. It's not just what our, our careers are, who we relate to. You know, like, are we creative or are we logical? Are we punctual or are we messy? You know, like, that's not identity. Identity is who we think we are in the Lord, mm -hmm. how we see Jesus, and how we think Jesus sees us. Yeah. And I think that when we come down to that fact of like, oh, this is identity, not how I define myself according to other people's standards, not even how I define myself if somebody were to ask me, but who I think Jesus is. Yes. 
And I feel like that's something that we haven't quite gotten yet, um, but that we need to. We need to understand the power of identity as women. Of I need to know who I am in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Because when I know who I am in Jesus, I cannot be shaken. Yeah. And I will not be stirred. And though lies may come against me, and those, those storms may come against me, <coughs> like, as long as I know who I am in the Lord, and I know who the Lord is in my life, then I'm okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I just want to address a couple of those things today. Is um, <coughs> It's just, it's, it's an internal problem. And what I was talking about before with the branches and the roots and the trees and that sort of thing is that we're so concerned about pruning our actions according to what we think is right that we've ignored the internal problem. Yeah. And um, it's like, um, I'm a nursing major, so all my analogies come out medically related. Which <laughs> um, <laughs> that was interesting. Um, it's like when you break your arm. And you've broken your arm so badly that your bone is sticking out of your arm. And you're like, oh, this is gross and disgusting, um, which it is. Um, and, but you're like, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to shove my bone back into my body. I'm going to put a Band-Aid over it. And it's going to be OK. And, that's, and I think that's how we view a lot of things of like, OK, I need to be better friends with this girl. So, And I'm jealous of, I mean, I'm just jealous of the way that she dresses. Like she's so trendy. She's so cute. She's so great. So what I need to do is I need to change my thinking. So instead of hating for her, her for being so cute, I'm going to be like, oh, your jacket is so nice and you're so great. And like, and you just, and we just overdo it. And we're sticking this Band-Aid on by either over complimenting this person and just being like weird and over the top. Or, or we do this other thing. And this is the other Band-Aid that we do is we're like, OK, so I'm not going to see myself in comparison to this person. So I need to think about myself and the things that I think about myself that are great. So OK, I know that she's really cute, but my hair looks really good today. And so that's my hope throughout the day of like, you know what? These girls are cute, but hmm, my hair looks good. <laughs> and like, and I'm saying this because I've tried these things. Like, literally, like, I comparison queen of like, oh my gosh, she's so great. And like, oh my goodness, she's, I could never have so much style. But okay, I need, to, I need to like something about myself. Comparison is wrong. I know that's not right before the Lord. What can I do to fix this problem? Um, 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 my shoes are really good. And I like the way that I look in my heels. And so, okay, I like, oh, you're so cute. Oh, no, 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 shoes. I'm great. I'm like, my shoes are really cute. And, so, and we're like, slapping these band-aids on. And like, band-aid, band-aid, band-aid. But guess what? Our bone is broken inside of us. And if you don't fix that problem, that bone is going to cause a lot of deeper issues. Yeah. And so I don't want to talk about band-aids today. I want to talk about fixing the bone inside of us and the internal thing. And so um, I think that... Now that we're on the subject of comparison, let's talk about comparison. Um, this is one of the main things that I've encountered just through being in accountability. Um, years and years of just, comparison is a real issue. I'm, in my example, I think that's, I'm not trying to demean that. And for those of us who think that way, because I was one of those girls, I'm not trying to demean that by any means, because I think it is a real issue. Um, but I think so much we're focused on don't compare, don't compare, don't compare that we miss the essence of what's going on. And that changing our thinking and changing the way that we talk about ourselves, the way that we think about ourselves, the way we think about others, that those are tools, but that's not ultimately what's going on. And, um, and I think it's just because we feel insignificant um, because we haven't been rooted in the Lord. And, um, and that can come out sounding really harsh. Of like, oh, you compare because you don't know Jesus enough. And I don't 
want to say that in that sort of tone, but it is kind of what we're dealing with. If I feel insecure about who I am, whether it's how I look, what my personality is, I compare and I, comp and I judge myself by standards of other people because I really don't know what the Lord has spoken to me. Because I don't know the things that he has ascribed to me. Um, and it can manifest itself, this insecurity and this not knowing the status that we hold before the Lord manifests itself in all sorts of ways. Comparison and insignificance we talked about. Um, lack of trust can manifest itself a lot in judgment. Um, and I think that that's a real issue that we face. Which is, I hear all the time. But just like, I don't want to, I just feel judged by women all the time. I don't want to go to that women's event because I don't want them to judge me for my lifestyle, for the way that I think, the way that I talk, the way that I present myself, for the way that I live. I don't want them to judge me. And so judgment is just a huge issue that we're dealing with. Um, in me, it was the competition thing. Um, I don't, I want to compete with because I don't know really who I am in the Lord. I want to compete. And so I want to be the best. I want to be the youngest to do everything. I want to be the most experienced. I want to have the person, I want to be the person with the most Bible verses memorized. I want to be the person with the best prayer on the mic. I want to, I just want to compete, 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 compete so I can stand and say, ha, look at me, I have status. Um, but that is still rooted in insecurity. It's still rooted in us not knowing what is going on in our hearts. It's not us um, in our relationship with the Lord. If it's rooted in, I don't know how Jesus sees me. And so I need to find something to fill that void in my heart. Yeah. Um, and so it, and I think the last thing that we also need to recognize is that it manifests itself a lot in dissatisfaction. Mm -hmm. I am dissatisfied with my place in life because I'm looking at all these women. Mm -hmm. and, they're do and she's doing this. She's passionate about this cause. She has this going for her. She has this job. She's on some sort of amazing career track. And I'm dissatisfied in this. And I feel like dissatisfaction is sometimes is so dangerous because it leads to offense of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And we're jealous of what we see in other people, and we just become offended at Jesus. So, mm -hmm. Jesus, how come I don't get those things? Mm -hmm. Jesus, how come I don't have that job? Jesus, how come it seems like her life is going so great and she's got all these <coughs> friends, but I don't? Or within our specific setting, this is something that I dealt with in my heart all the time, Jesus, how come she is getting all the prophetic words, all the dreams, all the visions, all the huge revelations in the Lord. How come people are coming up to her left and right and saying, Jess, you have destiny, you have this, you have that, you have that. And I'm standing here in the background going, what about me? Like, oh, do I not have those things? And we just become dissatisfied of like, oh, is that not intended for me? Was that not in purpose for me? And that dissatisfaction just leads to a division between us and Jesus of saying, you know what, Jesus, I don't know if what you've said about me is true. And based on what I see, based on my circumstances and what I see other people, it seems like that's true, that you love Casey better than me. You love her better than me. You've ordained greater things for that girl than you have for me. Mm -hmm. And so there's offense, there's division, and it's mm -hmm. just Jesus is over there and I'm over here. But outwardly I'll say, yes, I love Jesus, but really I don't really know the truth of that, mm -hmm. of I love Jesus and he loves me. Um, so I think those are a few of those things that we're dealing with here. And I think these things just build up to so much frustration. And that frustration um, boils down to a question of trust, of how much do we trust the Lord? How much do we trust what Jesus has said about us? Um, and I think that trust is relationship. Yes, it's love. 
Yes, it is devotion to the Lord. Yes, it is knowing that the Lord loves me too. But in those times when I don't feel loved by yeah. the Lord, when I don't feel devotion, when I don't feel like the Lord's blessing and favor is on me, what happens then? What happens in a relationship when you're like, okay, my boyfriend is too busy to see me, like he's got a job and he's going to school and he's always doing all these things, you know, like what's built there when you don't feel love and you don't feel the external things of relationship, what's left? It's trust. Of like, okay, well, even though he's so busy, I still trust that he values me as a person. And I, I still trust that he has affection for me. I still trust, you know, that he likes me. And it's that same thing of, Lord, when I don't feel valued, blessed, um, beautiful, if I don't feel in community, if I don't feel all these external things, what's left for me is that my trust with the Lord is damaged. And, um, and we need to figure this out of just, it's the essence, and it's not just, I, when I say trust, I'm not just talking about, Jesus, I trust you with this life decision, or Jesus, I trust you with this thing that I'm giving up to you. I mean, that's trust in a different way, absolutely, but it's trust in the basis of, I trust your feelings towards me, your words towards me, your heart towards me is the same yesterday as it is today as it is tomorrow. Yeah, and that trust is something that we need to cement into our hearts, especially now in this time, and that we need to get hammered out and into our hearts. Um, I just want to use the story of Mary and Martha real quick to illustrate, and I know that that is a common story that we use when we talk um, to women, um, but I think it's accurate. And so just paint the picture of you, uh, for you guys. It's Jesus is at Mary and Martha's house. Martha's in the kitchen, and she's preparing all these things um, for Jesus and just getting things ready for the thing, uh, for the dinner that they're going to have. And Mary's just kicking it at the, fit, at the foot of Jesus. And just like, she's sitting there, hanging out with Jesus. Martha's in the kitchen. She's busy. She's preparing all these things. And Martha, at one point, looks over, and she sees Mary just sitting there. And she's like, wait a minute. There's something not right here. And I feel like it's not that Martha was doing things and that Mary wasn't doing anything. And it wasn't, I think, the question of like, Mary just being like, oh, I love Jesus so much. I just want to, I mean, it was that she loved Jesus so much. But like, I'm just going to leave all my duties behind and follow him. I don't think that's the real issue here. I think the real issue is that Martha looks over at Mary and she's like, I see Mary getting all the attention, all the love, all the wisdom and all the revelation from Jesus. And I am doing here, and I'm not getting any of it. How is this fair? And how is this right? And so she goes over to Jesus, and she's just like, Jesus, tell Mary to come help me. Can't you see how busy I am? Like, tell her to come help me. And I feel like this is like such an accurate position of where we find ourselves, is that... Um, she, first of all, she chooses to judge Mary for her motivations. And this is judgment, like, all over. Um, of just, like, Mary doesn't want to help me. Mary just wants to be lazy. Mary wants all the glory. Mary wants to sit and look pretty at the foot of Jesus in front of all these men. You know, Mary wants all, just, she wants everything. She's always pushing me aside. She's always taking, she's like the bratty little kid who's like, I want everything. I get all the gifts and that sort of thing. So she's judging Mary for her motivations. And I feel, and Amy Perkins says something really great of just, what is judgment? And judgment is not like really actions, but what I think that your heart is behind what you're doing. And I say, I feel like your heart is this. And so I don't like that, and so I'm going to judge you for it. Um, so that's what Martha's doing, I think, in this situation. And she's also competing. She's measuring her efforts, 
her value of her work for the Lord and looking at Mary and saying, excuse me, can't you see that I am doing all the work? Can't you see that I'm busy? Can't you see that I'm laboring for your kingdom, Jesus? Can't you see that I'm serving you? Can't you see that I am doing all the work and Mary isn't doing anything? So shouldn't I, in the normal worldly thing, those who do the work, most work should get the most glory? Shouldn't I be getting the love from you? Shouldn't I be getting the attention? Shouldn't you be calling all your buddies over and saying, look at Martha, look at how great she is, look at the way that she serves, look at the way that she's so wholehearted and doing everything with excellence, look at the way that she's just, you know, giving her all to my kingdom. Shouldn't Martha be getting the attention for that because she's putting in the effort. And so she's competing. She's like, I want my status to be greater than Mary's because I'm working for you. And I think that what I'm doing is more valuable than what Mary is doing. Um, and I feel like she's also dissatisfied in that, in her work. She's dissatisfied in what she's doing. Um, because she's no, she knows it's not right. If she truly did, I think that there are so many people who serve behind the scenes, who do it well, who do it with excellence. I'm not saying that serving is bad by any means. We all need to serve as much as we can. But it's your heart behind it. Um, Martha was not satisfied in serving. It wasn't her delight to say, Jesus, I love doing this for you. And I feel like that is something we can do, whether we're sitting at the feet of Jesus or we're in the kitchen preparing food. There's a delight that's there. And if you're there, if you're Mary and you have the opposite heart and you're like, Oh, I'm just here for the glory. That's not to the delight of the Lord either. Mm-hmm. Mary just so happened to be delighting in Jesus as she was sitting at his feet. But what if Martha had been delighting in Jesus while she was in the kitchen? And what if she hadn't been dissatisfied with the work that she had that she had taken on? And what if she hadn't dealt with that competition? Um, and so this is what I, I know. Didn't you love the little earlier? Okay, momentary break. Earlier they were doing T-Rex growling, and I was like, huh. <laughs> But, so, in her dissatisfaction, I think that Martha goes to Jesus, and what she's saying to Jesus, in essence, is, I am dissatisfied at you, I am offended at you, and if I can't have what Mary's getting, then I don't want Mary to have it either, so tell her to come into the kitchen with me. If I can't have the love and the attention, if I can't have the, like, the blessing of being in the presence of Jesus, if I can't have the glory and the honor of sitting at your feet and soaking in the wisdom that you're saying right now, I don't want Mary to have it either. Mm. And I think this is something that we encounter a lot in our own hearts, whether that we're willing to address it or not, is this dissatisfaction and this holding back from one another Mm. of, Jesus, if I'm not getting those prophetic words, if I'm not getting those moments of worship, if I'm not getting the delight that I find in you, if I'm not getting these things that I've so long desired, then I don't want to have it either. And so I'll pray for you, but my heart's not behind it. I'll bless you. Oh my gosh, that's so great. You know, I love that the Lord revealed that to you, but my heart's not behind that. It's insincerity of just, oh my gosh, you got all this stuff and I got nothing. You got wisdom and revelation and I got nothing. You got glory, you got recognized for what you did, and I didn't. And I have worked just as hard I've questioned the Lord just as much. I've spent as many hours in prayer. I've done all these things. I've done everything right. How come I'm not getting it? I don't want you to have it either. And it's <coughs> selfishness. It's insecurity. Because what I think Martha didn't realize is that her place, Mary's place at the foot of Jesus, was Martha's place all along too. 
And that's status. I think that if Martha had gone to Jesus and said, Jesus, can I sit here too? I don't think Jesus would have been like, no, woman, get back in the kitchen. Cook. <laughs> I don't see that. I don't see Jesus saying that at all. At all. Um, I see him saying, yes, come. I'm so glad that you asked me. Please, be welcome. Mary, scoot over, make a place. You know? It's the status of Martha had it all along. She had every single right. It was her home. She had every single right to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, what you're offering to Mary, I want that too. Will you pour that out of my heart? She had that, and she just didn't ask for it. She didn't. She, she chose. She was like, oh, I'm frustrated. I'm not getting what I want. I'm going to direct my hatred and my offense and my dissatisfaction towards my sister instead of coming to you, Jesus, and saying, Jesus, please, my heart is hungry. Will you fill this ache? Um, so that's what I want us to understand is that it is about status it is about insecurity it is about our place before the Lord it is about how we see ourselves Jesus do you see me worthy enough as that girl that you want to give her dreams and visions do you want to give that to me too and I'm using dreams and visions and prophetic words as just like examples so I think that those are things that we also desire to go deeper in the Lord but those intimate, the intimacy that we so desire and that we see modeled for us in certain women and we're like, oh, I want that, I want that, I want that. Don't you realize, don't we realize as all of us that that is destined for us yes. too. That that is in the Lord's heart for us too. That it's not just for the few that are favored. It's not just for the elite. It's not for those who have worked hardest, served longest, whatever, whatever, whatever. But Jesus wants to give us those same things to every one of us. Every single one of us. And that um, when we don't understand this, we do start holding back from one another in fear. It's where a lot of our competition comes from, a lot of our comparison, our judgment. Of, Why is she doing that? Oh, she's just doing that to get the glory. Instead of saying, wow, she is on fire for the Lord. That's awesome. Good for her. Mm -hmm. um, it comes just from being offended at the Lord of Jesus I don't believe that this status was ascribed to every single one of us and so I'm offended at you that you picked favorites and that I wasn't one of them or I was standing behind the door with hand handed out good things um, and that true freedom comes from understanding the heart of God individually every single one of us um, understanding the heart of God it comes from living the reality that Jesus loves me and that he's not holding back anything from me in any way, shape, or form. And that he's not holding out on me. It's not reserved for a few. It's not reserved for even half. It is the heart of God to give you all of him that you want. And that comes out of our heart and it manifests itself in the, the actions that we do. The things that, how we exhibit love to our sisters and that sort of thing. Um, so, and this is just something that I found as I've just grown, and not saying that I've arrived by any means, but just in this process of working through so much <coughs> insignificance before the Lord of like, oh Jesus, you love this person so much more than me, who am I to ask for these things? Of comparison, of competition, of dissatisfaction, just working the whole gamut of issues that we face. Um, but as I grow in the Lord, and as I find out more and more his heart towards me, I find myself at rest in him. And that when I am at rest in who the Lord is and who he is to me and what he said about me, I found that I've just been able to extend grace beyond what I am able to do as a human. 
I have found that I am able to resist judgments easier <coughs> than I would normally. I'm able to not compete. <coughs> I'm able to not compete. I'm able to be satisfied in Jesus. When I found out, Jesus, what you said about me, and this, mm -hmm. that's true mm -hmm. for me. Not just generic, not just for her, not just for David and Renata Perkins or Amy and Dan or Candace and Stephen or whomever. It's not just true for them, you know, the heroes of the faith. It's not just true for them. This is true for me individually. When I found that, there is so much grace, and there's so much power, and there's so much strength that I'm able to say, no, I refuse to allow competition to my heart. Jesus, I want to love her. Jesus, I refuse to allow judgment. Lord, I pray for her, and I bless her. Jesus, I refuse to be co compare myself, and I refuse to be insignificant. Jesus, I believe that you have destined great things for me. And just to claim that in the power of God, it's when we find out Jesus, what you've said about me is true. My trust is in you. My trust is in your love. My trust is in your heart for me. And um, I think that sometimes we look around and we look at circumstances and we're like, okay, but I know that what you're saying is true, um, but there's it's undeniable that there is a difference in circumstances. Some people get really great jobs. It seems like some people get so much better things than I do. And... Um, I just want to look at the life of Paul for a minute. In Philippians 4.12, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And as we read the New Testament, we find out that Paul has a really hard life. He gets beat up all the time. He gets shipwrecked. He gets stoned. He gets whipped. He's in prison all the time. He's, he doesn't really have a home. He's just like kind of hopping from city to city and all this sort of thing. And so... I just have this question. It's like, how did Paul do this? And how did he not suffer from jealousy of writing these letters and saying, you guys are comfortable in your cities. You have your community. You have all these great things. I mean, you guys are rich. Um, you guys have you know, all these circumstances available to you, which are great. And how does Paul maintain his, I have found the secret of being content in every situation when he doesn't have a good situation, when we don't have good circumstances all the time? And I don't think that, I don't find Paul dissatisfied in the New Testament at all. I don't find him raging at the Lord and saying, Jesus, why have you set me here in this place? I don't find him insignificant or comparing of saying, oh, I know that I killed a lot of Christians in my day, so this is just what I deserve. I deserve to not have a home. I deserve to suffer. I deserve all these things of, you know, I've done bad things. I think that's something that we face too, is that we're like, oh, I just don't deserve that. It's insignificant. I don't deserve to have all these things. And so... Here we go. Um, and I don't think it's guilt or condemnation either of Jesus is saying, I'm punishing you for all these things. So you have to be content in your situation because you have done bad things and now this is your punishment and your sentence. Go travel and go get, you know, get beat and get whipped. Um, but he says that I have, like I know the secret. I know the secret of being content. And it really is rooted in the slave son analogy thing. Like, are we living as slaves? Or are we living as sons and daughters of God? Yeah, and um, Romans 9.8 says, it is, in other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Mm -hmm. Romans 8.1, now therefore there is no condemnation. So this is against guilt, against condemnation that any of you girls might have, that, oh, I deserve this situation. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of mm -hmm. sin and death. So we're set free from insignificance. 
Spirits. We're set free from Satan coming to us and saying, you did bad things, so you don't deserve that kind of life. You don't deserve the fullness of God. You don't deserve the good things of Jesus that he's willing to give out. Um, and it says that, Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. <coughs> heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And I love, this one's my favorite one. It's John 10, 10. Is, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come, this is Jesus speaking, I have come so that you may have life and life to the full. You may have life. You can have it to the full. It's not Jesus just setting us free from sin and death and saying, okay, you're with me. Here's your ticket to heaven. But life to the full. If you can have those things that you desire as far as, I'm not talking about stuff here, and I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel before you girls. I'm talking about internally, satisfaction, fullness in God, being at rest in Him, yeah. not comparing, being free from judgment, being yeah. free from all these things. These are life to the full. You can have a community of sisters and not have drama. You can have a community and not deal with issues. Um, but we have to understand that this is what Jesus intended for us. And are we convinced by this? Do we actually believe this? Of just, oh, that's a pretty verse, but is it in my heart? <coughs> Um, I am a co-heir with Christ. I am a child of promise. I have status before the Lord. Jesus did give his life for me. He did it to give me a new identity. And we say daughter of the king, daughter of the king, daughter of the king. But do we know what that means? Of the status that goes daughter of the king? Do we know what it means to say, I don't need to compare because I have Jesus. Because my heart is full. I don't need to feel like I'm lacking in any area because Jesus has intended for me to have yeah. it all in my heart to have life to the full in him. Um, and it's, it's just saying, Jesus, am I worthy? Am I worthy? Am I worthy? And his answer is yes. 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 Of, I am worthy. Not because of my own works. Not because I somehow clawed my way to the top. But Jesus, I am worthy because of what you've done for me, of what you've said about me, of what was in your heart to me. Um, and I would have us understand that so much, that there's no cause for judgment and competition, <coughs> dissatisfaction, when we find out that it's all in the heart of God. And once we seek that out, we'll find it in full. Um, Ephesians 3.18, the height, the depth, the width, the length of all that Jesus is. All of his heart, all of his love, everything. That's what he intended for us. I feel like it just, it's not resigning ourselves to having this. It's not just Paul saying, oh, this is my lot in life to suffer. It's Paul saying, I found fullness in him. I found the secret. I found everything that I need in the heart of God and what he said about me. And so I'm satisfied. So whatever comes, whatever circumstance, whatever job, whatever thing comes up in my path, I found the secret. And um, Psalm 35, uh, sorry, Psalm 34, 5, those who look to him are radiant, and their faces are never covered with shame. Those who look to Jesus are radiant with his promise, with his word, with his heart, with his love, with the identity that he's given us, the status that he's given us. Yeah. Our faces don't need to be covered in shame. Yeah. I don't need to feel like I'm insignificant in comparison to my sisters or comparison to anybody. My face is never covered in shame because I know what Jesus has said to me. Um, and just to talk real practically about a couple things, um, specifically about judgment, I think, is that judgment 
I think is so dangerous because it sows seeds of hate and discord and distance between women and distance between anybody really. But there's a gap. It's saying that I judge you and so there's this huge chasm and you can't cross it because I've put judgment there. And um, saying as somebody who I struggle with judgment, I'm just going to be like, I do. I struggle with judgment. I've not perfected it by any means. Um, but I desire that it be rooted out because, because of this. is because I want my roots to be strong in the Lord. I want my roots of, I know who I am in Jesus. I know what he said about me. I know that the, his heart for me is good, and I know that he's not holding back. Okay, my roots are good. My trunk is good. Okay, now, now, what we can do, let's prune those branches. Okay, so when I prune those branches of judgment, I think it's this. Judgment is denying your sister the grace that Jesus has given to you. In my time of prayer and searching the Lord of Jesus, why do I struggle with this? That's what he said to me. And I'm not saying, hey, you, stop judging. I'm saying to me, hey, you, stop judging. Because you are in essence saying, oh, yes, I received the grace of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm saved, that you don't hold condemnation against me. But I'm going to condemn you. And I'm denying you the just, yeah. the, the mercy, the grace, the justice that Jesus has given you. I want to deny that from you, so I'm going to judge you. And, um, what, and this is illustrated in Matthew 18. It's the wicked servant, uh, the servant going to the master and saying, I owe you 10,000 talents, which is huge, or something like that. Um, please forgive me. And the master says, yes, I'll forgive you. And then he goes to his buddy. The other servant says, hey, you owe me 200 talents. Pay up right now. The servant's like, hey, will you give me mercy? He's like, no, pay me right now. Isn't that what we're doing when we judge people? <laughs> Isn't that what we're doing? We're saying, Jesus, give me grace, give me grace, give me grace. And then we go to our sister and we say, I'm going to judge you. I deny you the grace that Jesus died to give you. I deny you the mercy. I deny you the love. I deny the benefit of the doubt. I deny not being offended at you. I just deny all those things from you. Oh, but Jesus, I want grace from you all day, every day. Um, and so uh, James 2, 12, 13 Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Ouch. Um, but this is the best part. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Every time. That's what Jesus did for us. Mercy triumphed over the judgment against us. Every single time. So in a way, in order for me to love God and to fully accept the grace that he's given to me, I need to extend grace towards others yeah. mm -hmm. all the time. <laughs> and, um, and I think a lot of it, our branches that we're pruning right now as women, um, a lot of that is just a choice. If I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose not to be offended. I'm going to choose not to judge. I'm going to choose to extend grace. I'm going to choose to extend mercy. I'm going to choose to live as a child of God and not as a slave that's jealous as, of everything. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make that choice in my heart. Jesus, I choose you and not my own way right now. Um, and that being said, I think that there are specific times where um, we do, there has been offenses against us, and those do need to be confronted. And those are specific times, but I would say that those are the exception rather than the rule. The rule is, give as much love as you can. Extend all the mercy that you can. Extend all the grace that you can. And the exception is, on those instances where you are always wrong, where you are always, and it is intentional, you need to confront those issues. And you guys can talk about that with your leaders. We, in the furnace, we talk about the Matthew 18 model of healthy, humble confrontation. 
Um, so yeah, so I do want to throw that in there of like, I'm not saying be a doormat and just let people walk all over you all the time and be like, oh yeah, I'm extending grace, me, I always get, you know, like, no, door, don't be a doormat. Like you do have to stand up for yourself, but there is a way to do it in healthy confrontation. Um, and just lastly, I know I'm out of time, but <coughs> one last thing I just want to put before you girls is just vision for what we can have. Um, and that we're not called just to coexist yeah. with each other. Like that's no way to live. Yeah. Like I don't want to just survive and be like, oh, I made it through life and I didn't have an issue with my sisters. I want to make it through life with my sisters. Yeah. That's what yeah. we say in the furnace. We want to live life with one another. Not just, yeah, I don't have any beef with those people, but do you have any love with those people? Yeah. Do you have any community with those people? Yeah. <laughs> um, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And I feel like this is a hard standard that we have been set but it is the standard that Christ has for us. Yeah. And if we use the standard in our relationship to one another, if Jesus help me to be patient with this girl, Jesus help me to be kind to my sister, Jesus help me, help me to not delight in evil. Don't gossip. I don't want to delight in evil. I want to rejoice in the truth of what you found, of what you found in the Lord, of the victory that you're gaining. And Jesus, I don't want to envy. I don't want to be self-seeking. I don't want to be easily angered. Don't be offendable. Make it your decision. Jesus, I want to be non-offendable. I want to have an unoffendable heart. Jesus, I want to have the benefit of the doubt. Jesus, ingrain this in me. Um, and the last one I want to address is just love keeps no record of wrongs. Um, I feel like, we just talked about this, we kind of going the other night, is we kind of have this view of an emotional bank account. And I have been a proponent of the emotional bank account in my day <laughs> until I started reading the Bible. And I found out I don't actually find a whole lot of information about the emotional bank account within the Bible. Um, and it, if you guys don't know what it is, but it's this theory that um, in our relationships, I make deposits into you. And so by making deposits, I spend time with you. I um, do nice things towards you, like I compliment you in sincerity, and it's um, all these good things. And so when I have hard days, and on those days that I'm grouchy and I snap at you all of a sudden, I make a withdrawal. But hopefully, I've deposited enough in you that when I withdraw and when I have those bad days, we're still okay, that I still have a positive balance in my bank account with you. And so we can still be friends. There's no huge gulf. There's no falling out. Like, my bank account with you is good. Um, but here's what I found. Romans 9, 1 through 4, is Paul talking about his love for the Israelites and his love for the Jews of saying, I would desire that I be cut off from God and they find him instead. Mm -hmm. That doesn't sound like an emotional bank account to me mm -hmm. at all. I find 1 John 4, 11 through 12, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. No one has seen God, but if I love you, if I erase this record-keeping that I'm doing of, you made a withdrawal, ooh, you're getting close, ooh, five bucks left, you better watch out, you better buy me coffee or something. If I erase that, his love is made complete in us. Um, 
John 13, 35, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Mm -hmm. So when I choose to extend grace, and when I choose to love you, I'm really loving Jesus. Because I tell you, it is impossible just to love a person for the sake of that person. We're all human, we're all flawed. There are things about us that are gross. So if you come into the, I'm just going to love you with the strength of, for your own sake, I'm going to love you, that's going to fail you. Yeah. But if you come to that person and say, Jesus, I want to love them for your sake, mm -hmm. because through loving them, I am loving you, and I say, Jesus, I love you, I love you, I love you, that is something that can last. That is something that's infallible. That is some motivation, some fire, some something in you that will not fade away. Um, and it's Matthew 22, 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the law, all the rules, all the things <coughs> that you do, all the actions hang on these two commandments. And it's, yeah, it's, and just to close, um, Acts 22, I'm sorry, 2, 44 through 46 and 432 through 35. It's talking about after the days where the Holy Spirit poured out in Pentecost. The believers were of one heart and one mind. I take that as as much evidence as the Holy Spirit as the gifts of the Spirit. Being of one heart and one mind is a miracle. And if I want the fullness of the Holy Spirit, I can't just say, Jesus, I want tongues, I want gifts, I want prophecy, I want teaching, I want all this sort of things. I want harmony and I want unity with the I want to be of one heart and one mind. Um, Romans 13, 8. Pay all your debts except one. Love. Never stop paying that one. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.